If you love Push Black's Black History Year, you'll love our newest podcast called Two Minute Black History. In only two minutes, you'll hear little-known stories about our people and reclaim the knowledge we need to take action and advance our community. To move towards the future, you've got to look to the past. Learn the history you didn't get in school. Tune in to Two Minute Black History every Tuesday through Friday, right on the Black History Year feed and wherever you listen to podcasts. W.E.B. Du Bois, Maya Angelou, Stokely Carmichael, Pauli Murray. These are just a few names of prominent Black activists who moved to the motherland during the course of their lifetimes. For them, moving to America presented an opportunity to redefine their relationship with America and their African identities. It significantly shaped their self-view, strengthened connections to their ancestral roots, sparked a new understanding of what it felt like to be home. I'm Len from Push Black, and this is Black History Year. In the 21st century, while vacationing on the shores of Zanzibar, one woman, our guest, put the wayward thoughts of many into practice, excavating her life in California to sow roots in Nairobi. Tadre Delora Monier is a culture and wellness writer committed to inclusion and sustainability. She's also the producer and host of Blacksit to Africa, a podcast designed to encourage people of African descent to return to the motherland. Her dream is for our people to self-actualize, but she believes that it's impossible for us to reach our fullest potential in the United States. Tadre's mantra is that the United States doesn't deserve us. And in this episode's conversation with Jay, she presents a case for why Africa does. But first, there's a reason why Africa calls for us all. Once you get there, everything changes. In a 1980 interview with Ebony Magazine, comedian Richard Pryor spoke profoundly about how a trip to Africa changed his life. Arriving in Kenya, the vibrancy and beauty of the diaspora moved him in a humbling way to forever change the direction of his comedy. Richard also spoke of living in Kenya one day. That day never came for the funny man, but that warmth he experienced going home to Africa envelops everyone fortunate enough to return and touch our ancestral soil. Case in point, director Ryan Coogler. Ryan Coogler's inaugural journey to Africa as he directed the record-breaking film Black Panther was equally world-altering, renewing the eternal question, should we all consider returning to the motherland? Ryan Coogler couldn't make a film inspired by Africa without visiting the continent first. He wanted fictional Wakanda to reflect and respect real-life African traditions. What he didn't see coming was how wrong his Western view of Africa was. 
During his trips to Kenya, Lesotho, and South Africa, he realized we have way more in common with our siblings on the continent. I believe that the connection was lost until I spent time with local people, Kukla shared. A lot of the rituals they did amongst their tribe, he explained, are very similar to things black families do back home. Then his epiphanies turned to the topic of strong women. In the world of Black Panther, black women are depicted as spies, queens, geniuses, and warriors because, as Kugler said, that's African. When he told an audience that some black Americans won't eat watermelon in public, an African woman said, it's the most important food out here. It can give you all the hydration and nutrients out here in the sun, she noted. Why would you not want to eat what's so important to you and your culture? When he noticed similarities between his family and his hosts, the host told him, that's because you are African. You're just doing what our people have been doing for thousands of years. So, are you ready to book that flight to the homeland yet? Tadre, what does Black liberation look like to you? Black liberation looks like Black people, people of African descent all over the world being able to self-actualize. Self-actualization, what does that mean to you? That means being in charge of your own destiny. It means doing what you want. It means being able to accomplish your goals, your dreams, unfettered. How do you live that out in your life and the work that you do? Uh, How do you work towards Black liberation and self-actualization for yourself and for others? I really don't get too caught up in the doing aspect. I feel like our ancestors have done enough of that to allow me to just be. The other way is through my podcast, Blacks into Africa, which is designed to encourage people of African descent to return to the motherland. Whether you're like myself, who's a descendant of those who were stolen, or you were born on the continent and you're in the global north, making your coin. I say bring your talent, your resources, all of that back to the continent. And you're there now, right? I am. I'm in Nairobi, Kenya. Kenya. You've been there for how long? A year and eight months. I've been in East Africa since January 2018, but I've been coming to Africa since I was 18 years old. Was Kenya like your favorite spot or is this just where you happen to be right now, your favorite spot for the, the time being? <laughs> um, I just kind of landed in Kenya. It was like just happenstance. I wouldn't say that Kenya is my favorite. I haven't ranked the countries, but for right now, Kenya is perfect for me. Nairobi is perfect for me in terms of its infrastructure, what it has to offer, and also as a California native, being one hour away from the coast, that's just ideal. I'm curious as to what led you to Nairobi. What shaped your perspective to help you uh, get to where you are today? 
Wow, that's a really good question. I would like to think my parents had something to do with that. So while other little girls was taking ballet, I was taking West African dance classes. I was also taking ballet, but then also West African dance classes. Um, I've always just felt an affinity to Africa and Africans. And so my minor in undergrad was African studies. My major was sociology. And then in law school, my specialization was international human rights law. So at one point, I was like, oh, I'm going to be an ambassador to an African country until I realized that American policy, uh, foreign affairs policy, particularly towards Africa, was not helping the continent, was not helping its people. So I decided to go into international development. When I graduated from law school, I moved to Washington, D.C. I wanted to work for all of these Black think tanks that I had read were doing great work. And at the end of the day, they told me that I did not have enough long-term experience in Africa. So I had gone to school at the University of Ghana as a foreign exchange student. I had volunteered in Zimbabwe working in a refugee camp. Um, in law school, I was an international monitor for the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa, but nothing, you know, uh, lasted, none of those stints lasted beyond six months. So I ended up joining the Peace Corps, which I was very reluctant to do, but I wanted to kickstart my international development career. And all of those organizations I was interviewing with, they were like, you know what, Everybody in this office has done Peace Corps. Have you done Peace Corps? So I ended up in Namibia working with USAID and also obviously the Peace Corps doing teacher training as well as community development. And then in uh, 2017, I was laid off from my job in Santa Monica. And I vacillated between, you know, being angry or incredulous, and then just like laughing hysterically. And I was kind of half-assed looking for work. And that previous year, I had gone to Zanzibar, Tanzania for vacation. And you know, whenever you go someplace fabulous, you're always thinking about how you can get back and make that like your everyday experience. So when I was laid off and I was given a severance check, and I was given unemployment insurance, I was like, oh, maybe I'll take this as an opportunity to move to Zanzibar. And that's what I did, January 2018. And I started out in Zanzibar. Zanzibar was supposed to be my forever home. And then I came to Kenya uh, just on a pleasure trip. And it was my second time coming and I've been in Nairobi, Kenya for a year and eight months. Let's take it back to LA, all right? Okay. So you mentioned your parents had you in West African dance classes and so you were exposed to different parts of the culture. Were you, did, were you raised in a mostly black community? No. <laughs> Maybe that's the answer right there. Maybe I was just, I know for a fact, when I was a teenager, when I was 
in elementary school, but mainly a teenager in Burbank, California mm-hmm. um, in the late 80s. I was the only black girl in my school for a couple of years. I was thirsty for black mm. culture. And the only black people I had around me was my father mm-hmm. and my half sister. So that might that might have been it. Did any kind of fear or apprehension come into play for you and how did you, if it if at all and how did you overcome that when it came to taking that step towards moving? I am definitely a risk taker. I'm an entrepreneur. So that fear or the butterflies or the questioning that occurs when you're about to make a big light step, I know how to push past that. You know, there was a certain point where I was in my apartment in LA and it was just me and my boxes. And I was like, am I really about to do this? Yeah, you got to do this. Because for me, the scarier thing was remaining where I was and dealing with the micro and macro aggressions that I was had been contending with since I had moved back to Los Angeles as an adult. And I really just didn't see, I didn't see elevation, but I knew that there were more possibilities awaiting for me across the ocean. You know, one thing that I think, unfortunately, many folks in our community hold is uh, a, we want to disassociate from Africa in many ways, right? We've been trained to look at the continent uh, in a certain way, right? We got folks who were raised the first exposure they had to Africa was, you know, Tarzan, the show, and things like that. So it's like um, there's a disconnect there, and I'm curious as to how you have encountered that in your experience. I describe my dad as a shade tree sociologist. You know how Mm. we have like these shade tree mechanics in the community. So whenever I had questions about the world, he always approached it from a sociological perspective. So I didn't grow up with these negative connotations associated with blackness, black people, or Africa. So maybe in that sense, I did have a running start. So instead of running away from Africa, I ran towards it. You know, when I was in law school, I was in like a West African dance troupe. I studied Chichewa, which is one of the official languages of Malawi. I never saw that disconnect. I never felt that disconnect. Pretty much wherever I go in Africa, even if I'm in Ethiopia or Morocco, People literally think I'm from there. However, I don't disregard other people's feelings of disconnect or um, or lack of connection um, or even strife that they've experienced from Africans. That hasn't been my experience. I carry myself like I am of the people because I am of the people. These are my people. I am weak. 
when you're speaking to others who you're encouraging to make that move, how do those conversations go? A lot of times I feel like I'm preaching to the choir, right? Mm. Because my podcast is on YouTube. So if you're searching for Blacks and if you're searching for African-Americans in Africa, it's because you have a genuine interest. But what I will tell people is that Africa, let me just be honest, Africa may not be for everybody, okay? But it doesn't mean that you cannot purchase vacation property here. It doesn't mean that you can't purchase investment property, right? Or even a business here. There are so many resorts, beachfront resorts that that are for sale for people who are just like, I would love to have a bed and breakfast. Like you can rent, you can have a 10 year lease on the ocean with a resort that's already constructed. Um, And I say that there are 54 countries in Africa. Pick one. Each one has a different flavor, a different history, tradition, language, style, uh, geographical influences and features. So I tell people, think about your legacy. When your children are tired of the rat race and they just need a break, you can purchase an island in Uganda for 10,000 USD. And, Whoa. you know, for my <laughs> Say that birthday, again. Say that again for <laughs> us. Thank you, though. <laughs> 10,000. You can purchase your own island in Uganda, Lake Victoria, for 10,000 USD. By the time it's underwater, you'll be dead. You know what <laughs> I'm saying? And then, you know, there are some issues with purchasing property. Uh, Sometimes you can only get a 100-year leasehold, but again, you'll be dead by the time the property (laughs) transfers. And of course, there are so many ways to circumvent. But, you know, I also say just come visit. You know, so we were all indoctrinated with the famine and the catastrophe and the droughts, um, all of the, the... the children with the flies circling their heads, people in need, the famine, the war. We were all indoctrinated with that. But then now we've got YouTube and uh, we've got Facebook, we've got Instagram, we've got social media. And when you see people living their best lives in Accra, in Joburg, in Nairobi, then you have to start shifting your paradigm. Right. That media that we consume allows us to shift our paradigms and possibly see that there is life outside of America, outside of Europe, a very fruitful life. And one of the things that black men say to me all the time about living in Africa is that they feel safer. Mm. And for me, I just feel a sense of freedom that I never had in the U.S. It was a freedom that I didn't know I needed because consciously I wanted to live in Africa because my heart was in Africa and I wanted to change my lifestyle. But I realized when I was in Zanzibar that the first six to eight months, I was just decompressing from the United States. And 
then I was featured on another podcast and they asked me, was racism the reason why you left the United States? And my first response was no. But then I thought about it. I said, actually, yes. Mm. That it, that was a huge reason because if I was just able to to float, if I was able to reach my full potential and self-actualize in the U.S., there would have been no reason for me to leave. I would not have been pushed to search beyond U.S. borders. Yeah. So yeah. again, I would just say, try it out. Maybe you don't live here 100% of the time. Maybe it's just for holidays and vacations, but Africa is an open market and it's something that I think that we should consider. And, you know, we've been told all these things about Africa. I mean, some people have even gone to cocktail parties and been told that, you know, you're, you're fortunate that your people were enslaved because otherwise you would be in Africa starving, right? Meanwhile, white people is over here living <laughs> it up exactly. and been living it up. You know, they own whole forests. You know what I'm saying? I'm mm -hmm. going to the coast for my birthday next week and all along the coast of Kenya, Italian owned, German mm. owned. I want to see more African-Americans, Afro-Caribbeans, Afro-Latinos investing in Africa, purchasing this beachfront property, this mountainous property, and living their best lives as well. I think that, you know, there's clearly an individual opportunity for those of us who have the means to do that. And I'm curious if you have any thoughts on collectively what opportunities exist to build just stronger bonds, whether it's culturally, economically, politically, there's a whole bunch of people that look like us over there that we share a uh, fate with and share destiny with. If we only could understand it deeper and have closer ties, we may be able to exercise a different type of power in the world, on the world stage. We have to build that. Um, we have to be very intentional about it. One thing that I think really needs to happen for us is a special visa citizenship because the things that we deal with trying to get our documents in order in Africa, for me, it's just, it really pisses me off, <laughs> you know? And I've said these things at the border, like y'all treat us like we're strangers, like you don't know us. We are from here. And say, I know, you know, but it's not our rules, etc. Like that needs to happen. So perhaps a lobbying organization that is able to meet with various African heads of state so that we can have the ability to settle in countries legally without having to jump through a lot of hoops. I feel like at this point, given the history, that's the least people could do. You know, um, Sierra Leone has taken the lead on that. If your DNA um, traces to back to Sierra Leone, you're given citizenship. I believe Ghana has also taken the lead on that. 
Tanzania, Nyere, he left land for Africans in the diaspora that is still unoccupied. But as far as like a massive movement, I haven't really gotten that far in terms of collectively. I've just thought about individuals and families returning. So I'm in a Black expat group in Kenya. And I would say every couple of months, their entire families that have moved back, um, whether they have opportunities teaching or with entrepreneurship, or they've just decided, you know what, we've had enough of America. There's so many multinational corporations here in Africa because they know Africa is the future. It's the past, it's the present, and it's the future. And the markets are wide open. Let's say you purchased uh, a resort or property in Africa, let's say in Zanzibar, and you hired African-Americans to manage it, you know, giving, it op giving opportunities to people who have transferable skills in the United States who may not otherwise have the resources to come to Africa on their own. Um, all of these fintech um, companies are popping up throughout the world, but in Africa, they're really being funded in a way that other startups are not. So there's another opportunity to employ Africans and African-Americans to strengthen mm. the local economy as well. I'm a big proponent of feeding into the economy versus charity. Africa don't need charity. What would it take to shift the mindset? My understanding, at least of like Liberia, uh, where the initiative that started there led many black folks from America over there. And they sort of started repeating a lot of the same um, discriminatory actions that they experienced in America, right? And started putting their values in place. So if I'm not mistaken, at least now, in many places, those folks who are descendants of folks who came from America hold a sort of a privileged place in society. And if you go over there, you may, if you have a, a, a name that does not sound, you know, if you have a name that sounds European, like an African from America, uh, you may experience certain types of privileges, but that seems off to me. So I'm curious as to, you know, what your experience with that type of dynamic has been and any thoughts on how we can prevent those type of missteps from occurring. That's a really valid point because I've seen that. I've seen people, uh, whether they're, you know, of African descent from the global North or Asian or European, come to Africa and just really exploit If you want to exploit a group of people, I mean, come to a developing country because the economic situation is so off kilter when you compare the strength of, let's say, the pound to the king and shilling. It's easy to exploit people. Um, there's no way to really stop those people from coming. Hmm. But I can say we don't want those folks and we don't mm. want a repeat of what happened in Liberia. In what ways are you able to experience the just the beauty of being embedded in the culture over there? What gives you life over there? 
Well, the first thing I'll say is that they let you just be. Mm. <laughs> you know, I mean, I just think about growing up in the United States and people walking down the street, speaking their own language, talking amongst themselves. And then, you know, you have some random person roll up on them talking about, we speak English here. You speak mm. English in this country. Like, I've never had anybody accost me like that. I am a unmarried, child-free, a single woman living in a small fishing village, <laughs> Muslim fishing village, and nobody was really checking me. You know, nobody, mm. there was no moral police for me. So that was like the first thing, just the freedom to be. And then one of the things that just brings me joy as someone who lives a, a pretty holistic life uh, is the fact that I have fresh food. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, the first time I ate the produce in Zanzibar, my brain synapses were just like, were just firing like, what wow. is this? Is this, this is real food, you know? And it has influenced, um, my health. It has influenced the way that I think. And, you know, it's a slower pace of life. Even Nairobi, which is a metropolitan city, it's a slower pace of life than what we're accustomed to in most major cities in the States. So it allows you to be with yourself and to spend more time with your loved ones than we have in the States. Um, I would say the other thing that really brings me joy is just seeing myself reflected <laughs> everywhere I turn. It's me, it's my brothers, it's my cousins, it's my friends, it's people that I've gone to school with. That person looks so familiar. And then, you know, the fact that, you know, racism is minimal. I don't want to paint this picture like life in Kenya or anywhere on the planet is uh, a utopia. It's not, you know, because of colonization, because of, you know, global media, there's still a hierarchy, right? Mm -hmm. But the amount of racism that you experience in the U.S., like it's, it's so much compared to what I may experience here three, four times a year. And to be able to exist without that constantly hanging over your head, without constantly thinking when you walk into a room, oh, is it because I'm Black? Do yeah. I need to be on guard? You know, I was talking to a friend yesterday and he was saying, and he's from um, Connecticut and he works here in Kenya and he's just like, you know, it's so refreshing to be someplace and not stand out because of my blackness. I believe I heard you mention somewhere they don't deserve us over here. Speaking of America, uh, speak more on that. Am I quoting you right? Uh, and if so, can you can you speak more on that? Oh, yeah. They don't deserve us. And... <laughs> We didn't want to come to that motherfucker in the first place. I'm very clear on that. You know, and I see these videos and influencers, podcasters, YouTubers, 
arguing for our limitations mm-hmm. and you know saying giving all the reasons why we should not pick up our shit and move to the continent and usually it's coming from people who've never lived outside their passport country really never left their region or their state so when I say they don't deserve us, I say, look what we've done for the United States. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. We constantly save it from itself. And what do we get in return? So we, you know, Americans across the board, we are very wealthy compared to the assets that people or the average person around the world has. African-Americans, I mean, how much money do we spend on hair care alone, right? What if we were to take our wealth, our resources, our intellect, our business acumen, um, our academic acumen, and and shift that where we are appreciated, where we can actually transform or help to build a developing nation? And, you know, I just think about the young people here. Africa, I believe, has the youngest, uh, the youngest population in the world. And they are hungry and they want to work and they want good educations. They want to, to enhance their skill set. We have that. So why can't we bring that here? Dre, thank you for your time. Appreciate you joining us on Black History Year. Thank you so much for having me, Jay. You can learn more about Tadri's life and her work by checking out the Black Sit to Africa podcast on YouTube. At Push Black, we agree with Marcus Garvey when he said, a people without knowledge of their past, history, origin, and culture is like a tree without roots. And I'm guessing you probably feel like that's important, too. I mean, you're here at the end of a podcast about black history. You matter. Your choice to be here matters. It lets us know that you value this work. And you make Push Black happen with your contributions at blackhistoryyear.com. Most folks do five or ten bucks a month, but really everything makes a difference. Thank you for supporting the work. Black History Year is a production of Push Black, the nation's largest nonprofit black media company. Our team includes Tarek Alani, Brooke Brown, Tasha Taylor, and Lily Workna. Producing this episode, we have Sydney Smith and Lynn Webb for Push Black, and Ronald Young Jr., who also edits the show. Black History Year's executive producers are Michael L. Sessa for Lemon House and Julian Walker for Push Black. Peace.